Greetings and salutations, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I am your host, Matt Scrivens, and we are delighted to have you joining us. Our guest this week is Dr. Grant Wilson. Grant is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Business Administration at the University of Regina, a position he recently accepted, so a big congratulation goes out to him. He teaches marketing, strategy, and innovation. Grant is also an esteemed researcher and has been published in multiple academic journals. He also has an active consulting practice that specializes in strategic planning, business development, and market research. Grant joins us today to talk innovation, specifically what this buzzword actually means, why innovation matters to the success of your business, and some tips on how to implement an innovative culture into your organization. It was great having Grant on and getting his thoughts on this important subject. I hope you all enjoy today's insightful conversation as much as I know I did. Grant, welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show, I should say. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. I think it's about a, a year from uh, from now that we first had the podcast. So thanks for having me again. Oh, yeah. No, no problem at all. Actually, I think you were one of our first guests that I actually didn't know. So it was, I think I was probably more nervous uh, than anyone when you first came on. Yeah, <laughs> I've right had a couple on. of shows since then. Hopefully I've progressed, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. And thanks again for having me. Oh, of course. No, it's uh, the pleasure's all ours. So uh, jumping into why we're here, though, you have a new article coming out. Obviously, last time you, you took us through a little bit of your, your previous work, but maybe if you could just give us a, a brief overview of what uh, is about to come out. Yeah, and, and it's very timely, too. And so the article is called Five uh, Strategy Shifts for Innovation, uh, or simply we just call it Strategy Shift. And with all of what's been going on, you know, we, my co-authors and I felt that organizations needed to be committed to innovation and an innovation strategy before, but now more than ever, it's, you know, it's even more important. And so this article really talks about reducing or eliminating some activities that are of low value and increasing or generating activities that are of high value and um, thinking about innovation a little bit differently than most do. And, and so that sort of it is rooted in, you know, the definition of, of innovation. And we sort of, we talk about that and then we, we recommend some of the older and established practices that we think um, should be some of the, you know, the strategic planning tools that are on the chopping block because they don't create as much value as uh, they're often touted to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, most people would agree with that sentence, but I certainly want to dig into a few uh, of the elements that you said there. So first off, what do we mean by innovation? Because, <laughs> I mean, we hear that word all the time. And I think a lot of people Im- imagine this hiring, you know, a high tech team of, you know, multiple people and uh, doing a lot of complicated things. But especially as I dig deeper into Good Lawyer and, you know, and seeing a startup trying to do that exact thing, innovate, what I'm noticing is a lot of it can be a lot lower tech and and almost process driven more so than technology yep. driven in certain cases. Is that something you would agree with or is absolutely. that completely off base? No, absolutely. And I think the definition uh, or, or how we define innovation in, in strategy shift is strategy is a process and innovation is a way of thinking and executing strategy. So it's, it's really just a way of thinking about strategy and executing strategy differently. You know, too, too much of the time we are focused on what we would call product strategy. And so consumers and, and, you know, business people alike, they would be largely thinking of innovation as, you know, the next 
product that is that is innovative or or sort of uh, push the limits of science and technology. And of course, that's innovative, right? right? But that's only in the product sort of framework. And so, if we think about innovation beyond just products uh, in processes and in, in knowledge management and culture, we, we get a much more uh, broad definition of of innovation. And so, I think, like I said. Uh, we, we are too focused on sort of the product strategy and defining innovation within that context, you know, okay, the next iPhone. So the, I don't even know what iPhone we're on 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Right. And then sometimes uh, things that are, are less technical, like you said, can actually be more innovative than the incremental change to the iPhone. Totally. Totally. So maybe just give us a few examples. You just did obviously one with the iPhone, but what are some examples of innovation that you find might be able to flush out your definition a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And so one of the, one of the stories that we tell in in consulting work is the Tim Hortons line and how at one point in time, there was one line uh, for Tim Hortons. And so, you know, you'd, you'd roll up, you'd make your order, you'd, you know, keep going around the corner and eventually get your order, pay whatever, move on and, and uh, hopefully get some Java and be caffeinated for the day. But what Tim Hortons uh, looked at innovation from a process standpoint, they said, well, what if we had two lines and those two lines could simultaneously take orders? And I think it, it on average, improved the person's ability to flow through that drive-in by about 30 seconds. That doesn't seem like a lot, but if you compound that over number of people over days and months and stuff like they're they're ending up creating more value not only for themselves in terms of getting more people you know through the Tim Hortons line but they're creating more value for the end consumer and so really innovation is about value creation and that was a total process change like there's nothing high tech about that i mean they just sort of right. split the split the parking lot into two versus one yeah no i think that's a great example and i mean to your point, 30 seconds may not sound like a lot to us, but to a fast food franchise, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's, that's night and day, right? That's a yeah, huge, exactly. yeah, no, I think that's a great example. Now, just to flush this out a little bit more, like is innovation just another word for productivity or would you say that it encompasses a little bit more than that? I would say value creation versus productivity. All organizations shouldn't create value uh, for themselves. They should be co-creating it for themselves and their customer. And it should be a process sort of on both sides. So both customer involved in that creation process, as well as the organization. And so, you know, I think from an an innovative firm is one that how can we do that in everything we do, whether that's in our, you know, our leadership, our knowledge management, our processes, our resources, of course, our products too, but how can we do that throughout the organization? And, and, create a culture that supports innovation. Well, let me ask then, are, are most companies right now from what you've seen innovative or is there a dearth of innovation that needs to be addressed in, in the system? Yeah, that's a great question. And so not my research, but my co-authors um, on Strategy Shift, Dr. Brooke Dobney and uh, Dr. Mark Clausen, both professors at Edwards School of Business, um, they did a study in, I forget what year, they looked at recently though, 2015, I think, of the F1000 companies. So, you know, Fortune Magazine's top thousand US companies. So they did this, this large survey. I think it was actually one of the biggest innovation culture surveys in North America. And they found that top US companies were average at best in terms of innovation, which is really, really interesting. And it and, and it sort of um, had cascading effects on their research and obviously now my research program uh, looking into you know, trying to become more innovative, but they found that 
innovation in companies, particularly these top thousand U.S. companies, where it was random, it was incremental. So this is what we were talking about with the iPhones 10, 11, 12, 13. Like that's really incremental innovation. That's not something that's dynamic or discontinuous, right? That changes the market totally. It's just these little baby steps. Innovation strategy was missing. There was an innovation expectation gap. So perhaps the organization wanted their employees to be more innovative, yet the resources and time and and processes didn't really support it. So it has to be supported by the the context. I've got a little story on that. Like for instance, 3M and the post-it sticky note, you know, that that didn't just come organically. Those employees were given time and and, uh, you know, part of their day to think uh, and dedicate time to innovation. And that's how that came about. So it, it was very, I guess, uh, structured in that, you know, it wasn't random at all. It was, it was not, not necessarily that the post-it note was planned, but that there was time dedicated for innovation. Right. And, and finally, um, we sort of recommend that employees can't really be blamed for lack of innovation uh, because it needs to be sort of top down versus grassroots. Well, I think almost rather famously, Google does something similar, right? Where they give, I think, 20% of their employees yes. day to whatever project that they want to work on. Am I getting that right? I'm pulling that out of thin air here. Yeah, so. no, I, I, and, and that would be um, a general, I think, rule of thumb for, for some, some top innovative companies is that they're giving time for it, right? If you could now maybe just take us through the the five uh, strategies that you outlined in your paper and with the particular bent on practicality, and I know that's yes. one of the ways that you focus, which I, I greatly appreciate about your work, but take us through the five pillars and then also uh, under the umbrella of how can companies become more innovative as they implement these five strategies? Yeah, it, perfect. So uh, strategy shift, the five shifts that we are sort of recommending Uh, Number one is that there has to be a cultural shift. And I I remember even from our last podcast, I talked about Peter Senge talking about how uh, executives don't need to do anything other than create the culture for the organization and support it. And so if anything's going to fly in the organization, it needs to be supported by the senior leadership team. And so I think that that's sort of step one is that this innovation culture has to be supported and innovation culture is sort of comprised of, you know, knowledge management. So managing um, our knowledge and our and our resources, and and having processes, and you know, dedicating specific time, energy, and resources to innovation. And so it's got to be uh, you got to kind of walk the walk, right? And and if you know, cu- culture eats strategy for lunch, kind of thing, right? If we can have the best laid uh, innovation strategy. But, but if, if it's not part of our culture, it's, it's not going to be totally. um, well executed. Num- number two is the strategic collaboration. And particularly in the times of, of COVID, we, we talked to lots of CEOs and they are using this time to collaborate outside, outside of their walls or, or outside of the organization. And so we, we, we generally know that strategic alliance management um, is a good thing for reasons we talked about earlier, now is the time to engage and sort of, you know, look, look outside your organization, you know, have this introspection and really realize where your deficiencies are, perhaps, and collaborate to, to hopefully create more value. And and so looking outside of your or move outside of your walls is number two, number three, and four, I kind of put together methodologies and technologies, I mean, we could separate them, but uh, most organizations that are truly innovative right now, we're finding are engaging in some methods and technologies that others aren't. 
And these would include crowdsourcing, analytics. So they are actually not only collecting data, but actually interpreting it and analyzing it. Because that's, that's hard to do. They are um, engaged with artificial intelligence, design thinking, and stage gate systems, which are really cool. So stage gate systems are basically, it's a process for moving an idea to, uh, to market. And so those are the, some of the methods and technologies. I'd call that points three and four. And then, um, you know, finally, really is, is getting rid of some of these activities and strategic planning tools that we have uh, been so married to over the last 40 years that, that are creating low value or don't, don't create value. So I want to touch on a, a couple of these. I, I guess the first question I have is that I have a tough time seeing anybody disagreeing with what you just said. That sounds great. So my question to you is, why is that not being done? Because, I mean, it's yeah. not like it's not known. You know, we need a great culture. We need to do things a little bit differently. Uh, you know, obviously making strong partnerships and, and moving outside of your walls, all these things, getting rid of waste. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. So what is the impediment to this actually happening? And, and why are we only at 65% on the innovation scale? Exactly. And that, that's a great question. So if we, besides the five strategic shifts, I would say the strategy shift framework really just says, you know, we need to, in our experience, our recommendation is 10%, but that could be more or less, you know, get rid of 10% of the activities that create low value or, or, or sorry, that are of low value or don't create value and then generate or raise the activities that do. And so again, that's fairly easy to say too, but we have a, a you know, without sort of sharing the secret sauce for consulting work, we talk about how, how to do this. And so, because you're right, when you go into an organization and you ask the executives, you know, what could you reduce or eliminate? They'll say, well, Grant, we can't reduce or eliminate anything. If, if anything, I need a 30 hour day. Or, or whatever versus the 24 hour day, right? And so that is the sentiment. But what the exercise of strategy shift is to do is to say, okay, here are the, all the activities that we do. Here is the amount of time and energy that we put into these things. And uh, it's sort of a scoring system. So here's the time that we put into them. Here, here's the resources that we dedicate to it. Here is how much it contributes to our departmental objectives. And here's how much it contributes to our organizational objectives. So on a scale, of, you know, say one to 10. And then we have sort of a formula that ranks these things. And, and the bottom quartile, we say, we have to think about these activities because they take a lot of time and they don't, don't create a lot of value. And so at that point, we either have to get somebody else doing those things for us to focus on more strategic things or eliminate them altogether. And so, like you said, you know, how do we do this practically? The journal that this is published in is a really a practitioner-oriented journal. So strategy and leadership is the journal and, and they are all about the how-to. And I think that's important because like you said, we can talk about why it's important all the time, but but the how-to is, is if not more important, right? So if I'm getting you correctly, when you do your consulting work, and again, not asking for the exact formulation, which would be tough to convey over a podcast anyway, yeah, exactly. but essentially you're, you get people to rank order. Here's all the things we do. And then almost given them uh, a score of some yeah. kind. Oh, exactly. Put them in, in order and, and then addressing fairly rigorously the bottom quartile. And exactly. And so let's say that uh, none of them we could realistically eliminate. We may eliminate them from the role. And, and that maybe creates more jobs. That's fine. You know, like if the top, you know, the CEO 
isn't doing something that he passes on to the next person and so on and so forth, there's going to be a bunch of activities that need to be done by someone. And that may justify hiring a new person. But at the same time, in the same context, you're having everybody else in the organization do things that are creating more value. And by virtue of that, you will see, you know, performance implications from that. And so the, the companies that are highly innovative, you know, there's lots of lots of stuff out there that's beyond my work. Like, and so th- there's all these things that are, you know, the positives from innovation, like top line growth, so revenue, higher profit. Uh, I think we've also written about higher customer satisfaction too. And so it gets back to that value creation is it's not just about financially benefiting the company, but we end up doing things that, that creates a lot of value for ourselves and our, for our customers. Right, right, um, right. But the example of this, uh, Matt, is when I worked in industry. And so I, I was a sales manager, business development manager in a, in a biotech company. And I do market share calculations every quarter to go along with the financials. But it took the sales managers who then had to ask their sales team to report up numbers, took them hours, took you know, sales managers hours, took me hours to compile it all for me to put in a market share number that really didn't change from quarter to quarter. And so the good sales manager's job is to get his salespeople selling, right? Or, or right. freeing up their admin time so that they can focus on selling, which is right. that that's sort of where this came from, from my perspective is, you know, clean the, clean the desk off the stuff that doesn't create value. And, and so we ended up reporting market share once a year annually because you have to do it right to, to your board and, and stuff, but it was a low value creator. And so we made, we basically fine tuned it so that we only had to do it once. And so that the rest of that time was dedicated to, you know, driving revenue and driving right. sales. No, I think, and I think that's so important. Eliminating waste. Certainly every company can, can do that waste audit. And that I believe mm-hmm. alone would, would help so much. Uh, in fact, I, and I, it's interesting kind of, I think it, it also it allows a company to, I think, ask itself some important questions about who they are, what their core competencies yep. is, what can they be the best at, which very few companies ask. And as we get into a more interconnected world where there seems to be anyway, and correct me if you see something different, uh, at least in some categories, a winner take all, uh, where you better be in that top echelon or just don't even bother playing. You know, it can kind of give you that ability to find where you are the best. And it actually reminds me of a story from a book that I'm going through and I'm sure you've read it, but good to great. It's about 20 years old. And I believe it was Kimberly Clark, which is a paper company. They sold all their paper mills almost out of the blue where, when this new CEO took over because they wanted to get into the retail side of thing. And people were shocked because, you know, it's like, you're a paper company. You need to do this. This is just a core part of your business. But they did the uh, analysis where they said, you know what, we can get this uh, elsewhere. It allows us to free up all these resources to focus on everything else. And they became one of the most profitable, I think still to this day are one of the most profitable paper companies out there and really divest into a bunch of new areas and, and own those areas in many ways. So uh, I think, I think you're dead on that from a practical perspective for a lot of companies, if you do that exercise alone, that could just provide, you know, untold value. Well, exactly. Cause that was a question that I asked, right five, seven years ago before I was in as a, as a professor, it's like, why are we doing this? And the answer was, believe it or not, because we always have done it. And that's a bad answer. Like that, that's a non-value 
creating answer. And, and so we always talk about in technology companies fall out of love with the technology. If it's the, you know, if it's the wrong one, or it's, it's the path that, you know, isn't going to lead to the, to the greatest value creation. And I think that that can be said for processes too. like fall out of love with it. If, if it's not creating value, and this is not probably politically nice to say, but like put, put it on somebody else's desk that is, you know, at a, at a different pay grade or, or get rid of it or, or because it's all about value creation. And I think the more that we can be doing high value stuff at every level of the organization, the better off we'll be. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I certainly know my productivity goes way up when it's something I'm enjoying doing and, you know, really engaging with as opposed to, and I mean, every job has the drudgery and you have to you know, suck it up to a certain extent, but it, that shouldn't be the core of a, your business or be your job, or that's just, I think a recipe for, for failure. The other thing too, which we, we say quite distinctly is innovation and innovation strategy. You know, it's not strategy by consensus, you know, leaders are, are paid and, and they're in these positions to make decisions. And oftentimes you can have a Neapolitan ice cream. And if you talk it, talk it to death, you can take the fun out of it and turn it into a vanilla, right? Like I think strategy by consensus is a, a bad choice. And so we sort of say dump some of these exercises that have been around for 40 years and, and look at our strategy shift principles in lieu of those. Uh, that's really interesting because I think, and certainly not in every area, but I know there's been a tendency to, to move to that collaborative model, but at least in my, and this is non-research, just my humble opinion, uh, <laughs> it doesn't really work very well. But what does work is giving people an opportunity to be heard and have those methods of allowing feedback to, to flow up to the decision makers. But then, like you just said, at the end of the day, you someone needs to make that call. And we've experienced it at Goodler time and time again, where we'll go around in circles all days with everyone just slightly different. And, and you know, eventually someone, oftentimes Brett, our CEO, needs to step in and say, here's what we're doing. You know, I think as long as you can keep kind of going back to the culture point that you made, uh, as long as you have that culture, that is open to discussion, open to different ideas yeah. and not, not being threatened by them, not shutting it down. I think most people can live. And frankly, I know for myself, I'm almost happy decisions are made sometimes because you're like, I can't, I can't go another round of, of discussion here. Yeah. And, and I don't want to misspeak either. Cause I think that's a really important point now is that um, I think executives need to lay out the strategy strategy by consensus is like, you know, where should we go? What should we do? Where should we be headed? I think that needs to, you know, we need to be um, firm and we need to, you know, be visionaries and leaders and, and come up with that. What you're talking about, I completely agree with, is the how-to. How do we get there? Okay, so you've told us where we want to go. Now, how do we get there? That's absolutely where every employee comes in and says, okay, well, I know what I can do in my job to, to get to that point, or I know how I can create value within my role to fulfill that bigger, you know, vision or, or strategy. So, and I, I agree in that innovation culture is really one that supports uh, individuals in, in bringing their ideas, you know, bringing them to the forefront and, and for leadership to consider them and act on them in order to execute that larger strategy. So I guess don't, yeah, I, I maybe didn't mean to misspeak, but I think where we're headed needs to be determined, not by consensus, but how do we get there uh, is, is absolutely by, by everybody's input and everybody's has a role to play in that. 
Oh yeah. And you certainly didn't misspeak. That's the impression I got from what you said. So I think we're on the same page there. And I certainly know at Good Lawyer, there is, uh, you know, a lot of strong opinions and people willing to stand their ground, which honestly, again, if you go into that culture of at the end of the day, we want to move this company forward, which we thankfully have, you can have even strong disagreements with people and at the end of the day say, okay, even if you didn't win or however you want to frame that, say, you know what? I know everybody else has the best interests of the company in mind and we want to move forward and maybe people are seeing things that I'm not seeing. So, okay. And, you know, whoever that decision maker is steps in and, and there's obviously a lot of trust there, but, you, you know, just having that willingness to... Uh, Put your thoughts out there, make sure your yeah. feedback's heard. But then at the end of the day, whatever decision is made, you know, get behind it. And I'll just give a quick example from Good Lawyers that we recently uh, launched our, I guess, version 1.1. It's sort of a, an iteration of, of our first one of our pro subscription. What that gives you is essentially uh, unlimited advice sessions with lawyers and a few other perks. And trust me, there was a lot of debate around that. And there's a lot of people with opinions. And uh, eventually it got sort of decided. And I can tell you, I don't think there's a single person in the company who was like, that's what I'm looking for. But you know, well, may other than a few people who made the ultimate decision, but I can tell you that everyone's behind it now. And, and we believe in the product. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think we're all talking, oh, I would have rather this tweak here or that moved over there, that kind of thing. Uh, but everyone's behind it. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see that the people can put their egos aside and get behind something when, when those decisions are being made. Yeah, because everybody wants, like you're exactly right, everybody wants to be part of that process. Everybody wants to have input. And, and I think it absolutely is necessary because individuals are more close to customers. Some are, you know, they, they understand their areas better than anybody else. And so, but that where we're headed has to be established um, at the top, I think. And, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's a great example. Well, I think that is a perfect principle to, to leave this off. Grant, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Obviously, we'll, I'm sure we'll have to do this again. And your paper is about to drop at any moment now. So by the time this is uh, released, it, it will be most likely out there. So I'll uh, link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and, perfect. Uh, and I guess just last question, is, is there any way, are you on Twitter or do you, is there any place that people can follow you if, uh, if they're looking for more? Oh boy, yeah, uh, grantwilson.ca. Um, we're launching a new website for that. And um, I guess the edwards.usask.ca has a faculty page, um, Grant Wilson, on, on their website. And, and for that article, it's very simple, just uh, strategyandleadership.com. And it'll direct you to Emerald Publishing website for strategy and leadership. And it should be on one of the new early site articles very soon. Excellent. We will be... Uh looking out for that for sure. So thank you once again for coming on and yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to everyone at Good Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out goodlawyer.ca slash podcast where you'll find every episode along with the show notes and resources. You can also sign up for Good Lawyer's newsletter that keeps you up to date on all the info and tools you need to turn your business into a rocket ship. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.